This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Amen. There are some things that change and there are things that are unchangeable. The greatness of our God is one of the unchangeable truths. And it's one of the things that is a firm foundation and a rock when things in life seem to be changing all the time. There are certain things that have happened in our own life that just seem like a massive seismic shift. And in the midst of a seismic shift, people are anxious to ground themselves in what they would call a new normal. How many of you guys heard the term new normal? Do you guys hate the term new normal? I hate the term new normal because it assumes that what we're doing right now is wrong. And there's a seismic shift that's happened in our life. And when a seismic shift happens, we go through the series of events, a series we call disorientation. When all of a sudden your schedule, what was predictable, what you thought you knew is totally changed. And this, you're disoriented. It's like, where did Monday go? Where do I go to work? Uh, what, what, what happens this, this summer, the plans that I had this fall? What's Thanksgiving look, gonna look like? There are seismic shifts that happen in our life that seem to just change everything and bring a bit of disorientation. And in the midst of disorientation, we're reoriented to maybe a different future in which we gain a new orientation. But that seismic shift can be good things and hard things, happy things and hard things. Gary, I know we were talking on the way over here. What are some of the seismic shifts that you've experienced in your life for happy reasons? Yeah, there's, there's a variety of them, but two come to mind right away. One of them was I started my first job after college. In college, a lot of times you think you're really busy and your schedule's crazy and it's hectic. But I remember going to work for like those first three weeks and actually having to be on for eight hours at a time and use your mind and being exhausted. And I would go to work and like I would just fall asleep when I got home after working eight hours. And that was just draining. Another one that I think of that was just joyous time was when my first kid was born. And I still remember that whole day. And it like makes me get real emotional when I think about the process that we had when Emma was born. And I remember being the first hands to touch my daughter as she came out and just holding her. And it was just like this glorious time. But you know, when you get a little kid, what happens for like the next few months? Like life is turned upside down. You're barely like sleeping. You're trying to figure it out. And like, I'll admit in my world, my wife did the heavy lifting in that time. But man, it just changed everything. And it's still changing everything 16 years later. And it's the greatest change that we can have is having one of those little ones. It's incredible. But it brings a disruption to schedule, priorities, how you live. I mean, the other two stories, because in college and having your firstborn are the two times you see 2 a.m. on a regular basis. (laughs) Exactly. You know, there's no more like just going to the movies after a kid at like 10 o'clock at night. Like, let's just go to a movie. And that doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen. Oh, I'm stuck here at home. But it's such great joy. And you you love it because it becomes, like you're saying, a new normal for how we want to live our life. So in that season of disorientation, you're, you're gaining this reorientation towards a new orientation. Now, that's for happy reasons. Yeah. And we always like when happy reasons kind of 
come into our life, those job promotions or whatnot. We also know that there are hard things that come into our life, unexpected things that also cause these disruptions and a disorientation. You bet, and you guys all know them. Like there are times in your life where like things just crumble and you almost can't breathe and you can't function and you're lucky just to make it through the day. Thomas, in our role, we see a lot of pain and heartache in people's lives. What are some of the things that you've seen that are just disrupt people's lives? I know, when you think of a massive worldwide disruption, hello 2020 COVID. And it's, it's put pressures on so many different things of people's finances and their marriages, relationships, especially even within the church. And that, those disruptions can also lead to disunity, fractures, where people are really grasping for a new normal, which I think this is the truth that I wanna leave us with. If you miss, if you miss everything from this point, get this. We don't wanna be in a rush to try to recapture what we thought we lost. If we're in a rush to try to recapture what we think we've lost, we will lose the opportunity to sit before the Lord and receive something new. When I see the scriptures and all the different stories of God's people, God's bringing his people, pushing his people as he's driving history forward. And it's discomforting at times. And that can be for happy reasons or hard reasons. You think of how maybe happy it is when God calls Abram and says, all right, Abram, you're gonna go to a country you didn't know and you're gonna be a father of many people and we're gonna move to a promised land, yay! And then you're going through Egypt and people are asking like, is that your sister or your wife? <laughs> and then there's, there's other happy reasons of, okay, I'm gonna anoint you the king of Israel. And then you start feeling the weight of what that looks like. And then there's hard things. You think about Adam stepping out of the garden for the very first time, complete disorientation. That was, must've been a crazy time to think everything was good and perfect. And all of a sudden he's dealing with decay and hardship and pain and suffering Absolutely. and nakedness. And nakedness, like I've been exposed and I feel this shame mm -hmm. for the first time. Yeah. And you think of God's people, they've gathered now in the family of Abraham and then they come to Egypt and think, okay, this is great. We're gonna be moving into Egypt and we've received you know, nourishment and food in a time of famine. And then we find ourselves enslaved. And you go, wait, what happened? Where'd God go? And for 400 years, they're enslaved. And then this amazing moment of happy disorientation comes and says, you're free. And they start wandering through the wilderness. And what do we see in the people of God is, they start back. complaining. They right? start complaining. Oh, I wish I could go back to Egypt and just have cucumbers again. Yeah. Because this is not looking good for our life. They're trying to rush back to what they think they lost. Remember, there were meat pots. There were meat pots. Like, yeah, and you were enslaved. So if you're not in a rush to try to recapture what you've lost, it gives you the opportunity to sit before the Lord and ask God, what are you doing? Where are you leading? Where can we go to experience something altogether new? And that's the beauty of God is he's so kind to be patient with us and draw us into something new. And so those are parallels in the Bible. Those are parallels in our st current story. And I wanna go to a place now that's gonna kick off a, a series that we're gonna call New Normal. And it's not New Normal as we're looking for a new normal. It's what we thought we knew was normal, what we thought was normal of our schedules, what we thought we knew was normal in our seasons or what was gonna be on TV or that football was gonna be starting or that church was gonna happen in a certain way has been disrupted. And instead of trying to rush to recapture, we should wait to receive. What is God teaching his people in this time that can actually build some spiritual muscle for us and strengthen his church? And so we're gonna go to the book of Acts, the, the book we opened in the beginning of the year. We're gonna go back to it. And we're gonna look at 12 episodes through the latter part of Acts 
as people are experiencing this disorientation of beginning a church. 12 episodes tonight? 12 episodes tonight, so buckle up. <laughs> now we're gonna do 12 episodes over the next 12 weeks and looking at how people began to wait and trust and follow the Lord. And then what we see in the book of Acts is through their faithfulness, the world is turned upside down. And there are things that we talked about in the early years, early part of this year, that maybe just because of our circumstances, we couldn't hear. Like remember when we talked about for week after week that the church is not a building? Yeah. Remember we said it's a body of people that have gathered and the form of gathering can change. But the body of Christ is all those who believe in him that are called his bride. And so now we experience the gathering of the body in different ways. And maybe we're able to receive some of the teachings and acts now that maybe we would have missed if we would have stayed. So if you got a Bible, we're going to Acts chapter two. Gary, catch us up. Uh, what happened in the first part of Acts? Where are we gonna pick up the text? Well, as the story goes, as many of you know, uh, Jesus has just died. And then he rose again, and then he commissions his people. Remember in Acts 1, he says, hey, go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. That's the call on the lives of the followers of Christ. And then there's these incredible scenes, even in the early part of Acts, where Peter is preaching and people are coming to faith. They're hearing the message of repentance. They're trusting in Christ and lives are being transformed for eternity. And then we get to chapter, or in later in chapter two and four, I guess 242, where he says, this is how we want to act as a community of believers. That's right. So in the midst of disruption, when it feels like there are so many things that are uncertain, we want to be devoted to the things that are unchanging and true. And so the early church, I mean, just imagine that disruption of, you, you're, you've been Jewish your whole life, and now you're never going to experience the same Passover. You're never going to experience the same sacrifice at the temple. Your family gatherings will never be the same. That'd be really hard. Your calendar's messed up. Your whole calendar is. Yeah. And so now let's look at four practices that are certain and true. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to Acts chapter two and we're gonna read 42 through 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they devoted Oh, sorry, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the first thing we see is that they devote themselves to certain things. Those will be four things we're gonna talk about. They're, they devoted themselves. And devotion is more than just an aimless practice. You got some kids, they seem to be really good athletes. They're playing high school sports. Um, you can probably tell the difference between those who devote themselves and those who do not devote themselves to sports. Yeah, and it's an all year long practice. It's not just during the season. You see these kids doing hitting and fielding throughout the entire year on their own. The kids who really work hard, they're working when no one's watching. Like that's what devotion looks like. It's not just in the season, it's in and out of season. That's what devotion looks like, even for our own spiritual lives. It's not just a Sunday morning experience. It's day in, it's day out. It's being present with the Lord. 
So they take that devotion that is all-encompassing morning, evening, when no one's watching yeah. in the privacy of their life, and they're going to devote themselves to these four things. And first is the apostles' teachings, that the apostles had received a teaching. I would imagine that this body of teaching comes from Jesus himself. That If you go back to Acts chapter 1, you see that Jesus is teaching his disciples for 40 days. I would imagine that there is a body of teaching that then they are taking that describes all of the scriptures and how they've been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they're taking that teaching, not new teaching, but what they received from Jesus and giving it to the church. Yeah, and they're like, devoting themselves. It was like three years of watching the life of Christ. That's right. Listening to his teachings. It wasn't just 40 days. It was three years of following the life of Christ. And so they're taking those incredible points of the gospel, of life transformation, of how Christ was, uh, had died according to the scripture, was raised according to the scriptures, has ascended according to the scriptures, and the promised Holy Spirit has come according to the scriptures, and they're devoting themselves to this apostle's teachings. It's important to recognize that these aren't new teachings. This is as though they just came up with them, but they are passing on what they received. In a letter that Paul writes, one of these apostles, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verse three, Paul just simply says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he has appeared to Cephas, Peter, the 12, and then more than 500 witnesses. So Paul and the apostles are passing on a teaching that they received. And that's what we're wanting to do as disciples today, that we devote ourselves to the word of God, because it's God's word that is unchanging, certain and true, and it's transformative. That if you wanna know what God's up to and how he can transform your life, we wanna be around God's word. Paul tells his young uh, mentee, Pete, or Timothy, this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that he has to devote himself to the scriptures, the words of God, because it is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped with every good work. That's what comes to us as we devote ourselves to the words of God, the teaching of the apostles that they received and passed on to us. But we do that in community, not in isolation. Yeah, community is critical to being a part of the family of God. We are not called to be individuals as followers of Christ. And the next devotion that they had was they were devoted to the fellowship. Now let's just talk honestly what fellowship is because I think sometimes we miss the point. Now going to coffee with someone, that's a great time to hang out with like your buddy. That's someone that you're developing a friendship with and you're familiar with and we celebrate that. But what fellowship here in the, in, in the scriptures is talking about, this idea of the Greek word is koinonia. And koinonia is this, it's you and me plus the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the things of God. Those are the things that we work, work together on and learning who God is. Now, I can remember a time in my life where it was impressed upon me what fellowship really looked like. And I met with a friend named Jim and Jim and I were in college and we would get together three times a week and we would lift weights. I mean, we would kind of pretend to lift weights. You but look like you lift weights. Yeah, you know, a long time ago. But we would go there to the rec center at CU and we would like, like I said, pretend to lift weights. But what we were really doing there, we were challenging each other. We were encouraging each other. We were 
talking about what God was doing in our life. And I just was so blessed leaving those mornings because I really felt it was me and Jim and the Holy Spirit. And we're surrounded by the things of God. We're talking about the things of God. How's God working in our lives? What are the next steps we need to take in our faith? What does our time in the word look like? What are we praying for? Where do we see God moving? Like, this is what true fellowship is. Now, it's not just with one-on-one, Thomas. It also happens in communities. There opportunities that you've seen that in your own life? For sure. I, I remember distinctly certain men's groups that I've been a part of. And I've been a part of a lot of different men's groups that, that you know, do different things, have different hobbies, get excited about certain, you know, adventures or whatnot. But there's something that's special when I'm with the believers. And I think your point about it's you and me with the Holy Spirit, that that's the community here. Those who have repented, received the Holy Spirit and been baptized. That's the beauty of this community. It's a living, breathing community in God's presence with one another. And I think of these guys that I spent time with, and you would think like it was the best church service ever as you share life with one another and you can't get enough of each other. So you'd see each other on Sunday and you'd be anxious to go grab some wings Sunday evening and talk about the message or join each other's families for dinner during the week. And I just see that in this text where their fellowship isn't reserved just for the home, nor is it at the temple, but it's a conjunction of both. That they would gather at the temple together and then they would be breaking bread in their homes. That was their devotion to each other, was this large corporate gathering, which we're missing right now, and then this more intimate gathering in their home around a meal. Yeah. As we look through scripture and we study scripture, we see fellowship kind of defined over and over again. It's all the one another statements that we see in God's word. Love one another, care for one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. I love Hebrews 10 because there's so many great words that are in that little phrase about, hey, let us not stop meeting together. Let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Like these are the things that we're called to do with one another as the church. And we see it being practiced here in this text. They, they were selling their possessions. They were giving to those and distributing to those who had need. And like they were, they were loving and caring for one another. Now, I think that's a really important thing to think about today. We're in this COVID season and I just start dreaming about what could the church be like in COVID that's different than the rest of the world, because we have a roadmap. We have a guide of how we're called to live together and how we're called to care for one another. And some of us have a variety of different gifts. Last week, if you were online or on the lawn, you you heard the message about generosity. God's given us all talents and treasures and time. And I think that's what we need to do at this time. Because I dream about the church thinking about how we end up on the other side of COVID and the outside world saying, the unbelieving world saying, wow, they seem healthier. Their relationships seem strong. Their kids are all educated. I don't know. I have these like crazy dreams when I think about what the church can be like, because there's so many of us who have so many different skills and abilities that maybe there's some who have time who could help families who are working um, two jobs as both parents are working and take the kids and, and help educate them. Or maybe there's some of you have really good skills and you're handy and you could then step in and care for someone who has broken things in their home. I, you could go on and on. Like I think about our benevolence fund and the generosity of those pulled out, poured out of our members to give to those who are paying mortgages and other bills. Like it's just unbelievable to think about the church. And can you just dream about what the church would be like on the other side of COVID and everyone's like, oh, I wish I would have been a part of the church. Absolutely. And it, now we're not trying to create some ideal and, and 
ignore the reality of being in relationships with people. Yes. Because we're in relationship with each other, and it's not always easy. What? I know. And people don't believe it. But here's the thing. It's not some utopian commune that they've created here in Christianity. Like, there's some challenges that they have to face, which is why there's the bearing with one another. You see, just a chapter later, these racial divisions amongst the vulnerable in the community, amongst these widows who are not receiving their bread um, because they've given privilege to another. And they have to go and address that. It's of the concern, but it's to keep the unity of the body together. And it's not just about breaking bread and hanging out in the home. There's a piece of this that's actually around the Lord's Supper. So this is the the communion table that they had broken bread is the idea that they're breaking the Lord's bread. There's probably something in their gathering in which they're doing the very thing that God called them to do. One of the sacraments. That God gives his church two sacraments, the, the baptism of believers and the breaking of the Lord's Supper, that we would remember what Christ has done and proclaim his death until his coming. And so there's a part of their gathering which they are centering around the Lord's table, exactly what Jesus called them to do. When they eat and drink together to remember the victory of Christ, what he had purchased for them. And we're going to do that uh, today as well. And so um, get ready. If you get some elements in your home together, we're going to be breaking the bread. We're going to have uh, the Lord's Supper together today. But you see this fellowship that's also devoting themselves to another thing, which is the prayers. We see that it's the plural of prayers, not the individualistic prayers, but the prayers of the community. Yeah. I mean, we're devoted to the teaching to the community, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And these are communal prayers. This is when the church gathers to pray together, to experience the power of the Lord. In a few chapters, actually in the next couple episodes as we're going to get to, in Acts 12, there's this incredible scene where King Herod is getting all furious with the people. And so he goes after the apostles, and he actually puts the sword to James, the brother of John, and kills him. And this pleased the Jews at the time. And then he goes after Peter and he he grabs Peter and he puts Peter in prison. And then the assembly, the church began praying for Peter. Like just think about knowing that the community of believers is grabbing Peter and and praying for Peter because they know he's in trouble. And then if you read it, it's just a crazy story where there's guards right next to him. There's guards at the gate and the angel of the Lord comes to him and he walks out of prison. That's the hand of God, friends. That's God moving in people's life because the community is devoted to praying for one another. That's what Colossians 4.2 says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's what we want to do as a church. Thomas, is there recently a time when we've seen like the power of prayer in the community of believers? It's almost embarrassing at this point to see how God is so kind to us as a church. I'm, we're just so blessed to be in the seats that we are to have the view that we do of God's faithfulness through the prayers of his people. As we gathered in the most recent season to be praying about, God, what is next? We, we couldn't see into the future or we, we feel a bit disoriented. Where would you like to lead us? And we felt being led to a third campus and praying for a third campus. And then God gifting Calvary, a third campus. And so now we're in Boulder, Erie, and Thornton. And that's a result of that congregation out in Thornton seeking God and being devoted to praying to one another. And we just know from our seats, the stories of, and then God, and then God, and then God. How have you seen it? You've been on the forefront of Thornton. It's just so fun to see these like 
you mentioned the people at the gathering. They were so faithful and they wanted to see the kingdom of God go out and they didn't have clear direction. And, and like you said, and then God had to show up on their door and say, hey, we're looking to plant in Thornton. And they were like, we're looking to give a church, a building, a property, all their assets. And, and God showed favor on us and granted us the opportunity. And so we met last time out in Thornton for the first time on the lawn there. Like, imagine planning a church in a pandemic where you really can't meet and gather and like hoping that goes well. That's right. And we're meeting and gathering on a new property. And almost 200 people showed up for the first gap. And God, right? And God did a great thing. And it's not what we did. Yeah. It's through the prayers of the believers. I, I'm so thankful that our story to share at Calvary and for Calvary to share in the community is not. And then Gary, and then Gary, and then Gary. <laughs> or, or in Thomas, and Tom, yeah. or Tom, or, or, the the elders, or, or the elders, or anybody. It's about the Lord, Thomas. It's about what yeah. God has done. It's not about what we do. So here's the thing. This is what we want to devote ourselves to this fall. We want to not be in a hurry and try to reclaim or to recapture what we sense is lost. But say, Lord, you're the sovereign God of everything. You knew the season was coming. What is it in our own faith that if we would devote ourselves to your word, that we would devote ourselves to one another, if we would devote ourselves around the Lord's table, if we would devote ourselves to prayer, that you would like to build in us so that when we do regather corporately, and, and Jesus, please let it be soon. Okay, amen. We regather as a stronger, tighter, more faithful, dependent community of believers that are more passionate about the gospel's call, that are more passionate about God's truth in our community, in our world. What would he stir up in each of us if we would devote ourselves to these things? Because we see right here in our text that God begins to do some miraculous things with this community as they devote themselves to these four practices. Yeah, the people in the community, they showed favor on them. Like, it was, like the church was living out the principles and the community was recognizing it. And they were like, oh my gosh, they were impressed in their hearts that, wow, that is different. And then the Lord added to their number daily of those being saved. How fun was it this last weekend at our Boulder and Erie campuses to celebrate baptisms? Yeah, to, to, to be baptizing people, once again, in a pandemic that have come to know Christ through Calvary's ministries, that God is faithful to call dads and grandmothers mothers, young kids, students that have devoted their life to Christ now. Just get really excited for these things. And it's to our joy. I love that that's the outcome is that they devote themselves to these things and they begin to rejoice. Are you feeling rather discouraged? Perhaps you've devoted yourself to the wrong things in this season. Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Shut that thing down. <laughs> but if you devote yourself to these things, yeah. to your joy and your gladness, and the work of Christ that he would add to our number daily, those who are being saved. So would you devote yourself to God's word in community, whether that's in person or one of these virtual home groups of, of church at home, Calvary at home? Would you devote yourself around the Lord's table being ready to receive communion when we have communion Sundays? And then to prayer. We have, we have three things that we would like you to be praying for this fall. We'd like you to pray for the unity of our church. There are so many ways that we could divide ourselves. 
that we could be aggravated with one another and their pref- and our preferences. And, and Jesus prayed for unity. And Jesus is praying for our unity. So that the world might know that he loves his church. That's right. And so would you pray for unity and how you might stir up unity amongst the believers at Calvary? And then would you pray, secondly, for the witness to our community, that as they see how we love one another and are devoted to one another, that the witnessing church to the community would see and many people would become uh, followers of Christ and find forgiveness and salvation. And lastly, would you pray for a divine intervention in our country, that God in his just generosity and kindness would do something with our country to recapture her heart, to love him and follow him, to serve him and delight in him. So those are the three things. Pray for the unity of our church, pray for the witness of our community, and pray for the intervention in our country. And then as we devote ourselves to these things, sit back and say, God is gonna move. And then God, and then God. And be in awe. And be in awe. Just like they were. So let's, let's pray for that right now. Let's pray for those three things. Let's pray that God would actually prepare our hearts and then we'll take communion today. Father, I thank you for the work that you have been doing at Calvary. It is so fun to sit back and watch you at work in the lives of your people. I thank you that uh, we see your hand over and over again and we get to say, and then God, and then God, and then God. And Lord, we are thankful that we get to just be a part of your story. We wanna see you increase as we decrease, Lord, because you are worthy of our worship and our acknowledgement and our praise. And Father, we do pray in this season that you would help us be a unified church in all that we do, that we would, we would come together and, and care and love and hear how everyone's doing because Lord, we wanna model what unity is for a broken, hurting world. And Father, we do pray that in this time that people would come to faith, that, that the witness of the church would um, be poured out in our community, Lord, in the communities that we're in, in Boulder and Erie and Thornton and, and all around the world, Lord, that you would be made known and be made famous, Lord. And Father, I also ask that you would do a miraculous intervention in our country and that you would do some healing and bring us back together not just as a country, Lord, but in a place that we would glorify you and be centered on the things of you, Lord. And we know that is a big prayer, Lord, but we know you can do these things and we will be devoted to praying these things over the next few months. And fathers, we prepare our hearts to, to commune with you and remember the work of the cross. I ask that that would penetrate us deeply and that we would live out of the response of what you did for us. In your name.